Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Kesey, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Coming up later, Kevin Kugler, the voice of the Big Ten Network, who is also calling NFL games on Fox this season, will join me to discuss the Big Ten Conference's decision to play football after all this year. We spoke on Monday. Well, last Sunday, the New York Giants suffered a major blow when they lost star running back Saquon Barkley for the season with a torn ACL, suffered against the Chicago Bears. It's going to be interesting to see how new head coach Joe Judge handles this situation. Pat Leonard, who covers the Giants for the New York Daily News, joined me Tuesday morning to discuss Barkley and the Giants. Later Tuesday, the Giants signed former Atlanta Falcons running back Devontae Freeman. Here is my conversation with Pat Leonard. Well, Pat, welcome back to the podcast. It's uh, good to talk to you. I hope you're staying safe down there in, in uh, New York. Yeah, you got it, Ken. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm trying my best, doing well. Everybody's healthy, and uh, it's honestly, uh, I feel grateful and, and lucky to be able to be, you know, one of the few people who can walk into MetLife Stadium for Giants home games and actually, you know, be eyes and ears for people. You know, it's very strange driving through the empty parking lot and, and parking and kind of looking around and hearing the seagulls and not hearing, you know, the music and smelling the you know, everybody's uh, food on the grill, but um, I don't take the responsibility lightly, and I hope I can bring people, you know, uh, put them put them in their seats, so to speak. I'll ask you a little bit about that a little bit later, but let's get to the main topic here, uh, Sunday's game against the Bears and the devastating uh, torn ACL injury to Saquon Barkley. Uh, what is, how does this affect the Giants? Yeah, so obviously this is the player the Giants have built around. Their offense is geared around him, uh, especially hiring Jason Garrett, who hasn't called plays since 2012, but you still at least envisioned an Ezekiel Elliott-like offense where the running back was the center point both in the pass game and in the run game. And, of course, once they traded Odell Beckham, Barkley became – the only player who can take the top off a of defense on any given play on this roster. So Daniel Jones has to now take more responsibility in an offense where he already had a lot of it. That's a young quarterback, of course, who's playing behind an offensive line that so far has continued to struggle in both the run game and in pass protection, right near the bottom of pass protection uh, for the Giants. Barkley is out for the year. Uh, had the torn ACL, uh, torn meniscus, and also a or partially torn meniscus, and also a strained MCL in that knee. So he's going to have surgery uh, within the next two to four weeks. But the short term for the Giants and for Joe Judge, frankly, is how do you get this team not to quit and to start winning games? For Dave Gettleman, it becomes. How do I make the case to John Mara and Steve Tisch that this team is going to be on the right track at the end of this season? And for Saquon Barkley, personally, it becomes a question of can he cash in this offseason on the type of contract that he was likely going to receive and that he was going to command as the, as the focal point of what the Giants wanted to do um, in this new so-called rebuild? Does the time? I mean, does the timetable of his recovery? If he, you know, if he's out, if he's able to come back next year, does that factor into the contract talks? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, it, I think the number one factor is okay. After his third NFL season, this season, it was probably going to be a case of we weren't going to see Saquon Barkley play another down until he got a new deal. Uh, I'm not saying he was going to hold out, but I'm saying that was the sense is that you know, coming out of this year, you know, you weren't going to be able to get Saquon Barkley's helmet on before he got paid. And not just because that's what he was probably going to want and demand, but also because that's how the Giants, by drafting him number two overall, and then they were due to give him, you know, 
whatever, up to upwards of 280, 300 touches this year. It was just going to be the way that they were going to com- compose this roster. So you have to think that even if Barkley still tries to get paid coming out of this offseason, the Giants are going to need, first of all, some proof that he is there physically in his rehabilitation, but also will they pay him the same thing they would have? And then if they say they're willing to commit but not to the same level, does Barkley wait later in the offseason to prove that he's 100%? Can he prove that he's 100% coming off of an injury? I mean, we saw that Odell Beckham Jr. did get a significant major contract from Dave Gettleman late in the offseason, uh, coming off of a coming off of an injury, um, in, you know, going into his what was his final year as a Giant. So it's not unprecedented that a Giant player gets paid coming off of an injury and surgery, but it definitely complicates it. And frankly, what also matters is whether Dave Gettleman is still the GM here mm-hmm. when those negotiations even occur. I mean, with running backs, you mean with that situation, I mean, how risky is it for the Giants to offer Barkley a bigger contract? Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly risky, especially when you consider uh, that the cap was reduced due to the pandemic. You know, everybody had to reduce their salary cap uh, to fit under the new constraints in the new environment. And frankly, you know, the Giants, the way that they think, you would expect them to pay a running back a ton of money because they are old school. And even though they talk all the time about kind of bringing their organization now into the new age, the way that John Mara and Dave Gettleman have operated this organization, they are the type of team who would give Saquon Barkley a lot of money. The question is, does Joe Judge end up being the deciding factor or does Joe Judge bring in a new GM if Dave Gettleman heads out? Uh, that you know, if he is fired, then does that does he bring in someone with a better understanding and better operations as far as value at that position? No one is saying Saquon Barkley isn't worth money and isn't a talent, but really the question becomes who is the person signing? You know, well we know who's signing the checks, <laughs> but who is the person who is really kind of the voice of reason in those conversations? And, and you know, let's be honest, if you I think Dave, I think Daniel Jones's talent impacts this as well in the sense that, you know, if you believe so strongly in a quarterback that you think that he's your franchise QB and you want to build around him and not your running game, then maybe that convinces you that you don't have to shell out for a big time back because you believe the quarterback is your star. So if Jones can take another step this year, that impacts it as well. It is very difficult to see Daniel Jones having a tremendous season, though, not only given the turnovers we've already seen early, but also the fact that they don't have a number one receiver and that so far their new offensive line has not been able to adequately protect or block in the run game consistently. Pat Leonard joining us from the New York Daily News here on the podcast. Uh, Who replaces uh, Barkley? Who's uh, Joe Judge go to? Well, as we speak this moment, um, you know, Devontae Freeman, the former Falcon, is, work, is going to visit and work out with the Giants. He could be signed by the time uh, you are listening to this podcast. The, you know, this is the crazy thing about this COVID-impacted season, especially, let alone the normal NFL, is things are changing by the minute, and there's injuries around the league, and teams' rosters have to shuffle at a record pace and so you know anytime you're talking on tv or on a podcast or on radio five minutes later everything could be different it's already <laughs> happened to me but it could we could see Devonte freeman factor in Dion lewis the veteran back is here uh, specifically to be a compliment to whoever the primary running back is he took 57 offensive snaps in that game in chicago he's capable of doing that one week he is not going to hold up however if he has to do that every week. That's why you're seeing the Giants go out and get somebody new. Wayne Gallman was a healthy scratch in week two. Um, I would think that the Giants may give him a shot now that Barkley's out. Uh, He did play in week one, though sparingly and not well in the snaps that he played. Uh, But I think Wayne deserves a shot to be a running back 
And then, uh, you know, even if Freeman signs, you know, I don't think that's going to be the end of it. I mean, Eli Penny, the fullback, you might see him get the ball. And Rod Smith is on their practice squad. I like Rod a lot. You know, he had a good camp for the Giants last year before getting hurt. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, uh, factored in. But this is now going to be something, Ken, where the Giants, frankly, are going to be looking on the waiver wire and in free agency, most likely the rest of the season, to make sure that they're competitive week in and week out of this position. You covered, this was the first training camp under Joe Judge. What differences did you see, and was it a better camp than you have have seen in the past? No question about it being a, a more impressive camp than I've seen. One of his practices on a late Monday during camp was the most impressive practice in camp or otherwise that I've seen in my now five years covering the NFL. And, you know, if you can just picture, you know, even when they're not running organized team drills, they're always keeping the players in different positions active. Like we saw Tiki Barber criticizing Saquon Barkley's pass protection, and that was interesting and timely to me because I was just reporting a week or two prior that Joe Judge had Saquon Barkley literally doing individualized pass protection drills in between other drills literally every practice during camp. You know, I think their attention to detail is very high. He demands a lot out of his players. Uh, Of course, it's well documented. He had players and coaches running early in camp when they made mistakes. And, you know, of course, whether he wins or loses will kind of dictate how that is, uh, you know, perceived and recorded in the history books in the long run. Um, And that's kind of what dictates how people remember these types of details and actions. But, You know, what I took out of Judge and his training camp was he had full power and control over dictating uh, what kind of changes are made in a Giants program that really require a ton of them. And it was a good sign at least to see that Judge had that power because that's why they hired him. And that's why, you know, part of the Giants problems the last several years has been a lack of recognition at the ownership level of how dramatically they even needed to change in the first place. And so seeing those changes happening on the field, even if they're just in practices, that is critical to the understanding and the validation of that John Mara and the Giants aren't just saying it. They're actually empowering their young 38-year-old head coach to actually put it into practice. You mentioned T.E. Barber and his criticisms last week, uh, the former Giant running back now working for CBS Sports Radio. Barkley seems to just basically brushed him off. Was, it, was that a good sign that Barkley was maybe ignoring the noise, and but he maybe realizing he does need to focus on some of the things that maybe Tiki was saying? You know, I actually, Sa- Saquon, knowing Saquon and you know, talking to him as often as I do and covering him as, you know, regularly as I do. I thought he was pretty, uh, let's say, testy about how he answered that uh, criticism as far as, you know, he tried his best to be respectful. But, you know, eventually when he kind of boiled over a little bit and said that he doesn't listen to all pro clickers, you know, he, he's a very proud young player. And this also goes back to how Judge is handling camp and the team. Saquon was enabled and, you know, treated like a star by the previous coaching staff. And a lot of people around him, or I would say most of the people around him, treat him like a star. He is an extreme talent, but he does need to get better. And I think Joe Judge, basically behind the scenes and the coaching staff, telling him how much he has to improve and then hearing it publicly from Tiki as well. I think that was something new for Saquon in reacting to that and having to handle not only criticism internally, but then also so publicly. And frankly, I, you know, I was concerned about how, what was going to happen on Sunday in Chicago, whether Saquon was going to try to do too much to answer to that. Um, you know, what was really going to come out of that. Of course, he was running pretty well, and 
outproduced his measly week one performance very early in that game against the Bears. You know, I'm not saying the injury is connected to that at all. I mean, it seemed like a, a freak thing landing on his knee like that. Uh, but frankly, I, um, you know, was very uh, heightened sensitivity and heightened alertness going into that Chicago game with Barkley coming off such unprecedented criticism of him individually, both internally and externally. And unfortunately, we see coming off of this, um, you know, impacted offseason that Barkley's body for a second straight year not able to hold up on that right leg. And now the Giants are all the worst of the wear for it. Yeah. Daniel Jones, uh, I mean, I know it's only two games into his really first full year as a starter for the Giants. Have you seen a difference in him? He almost led them to a comeback victory on Sunday. You know, same thing from Jones so far to me. A lot to like, a lot not to like. You know, I thought that was what I took out of his rookie year was this kid's a gamer. And, you know, I always say this, and it might sound like a cliche, but it is not coming from me about Jones. I mean, everybody who works with him and around him and teammates and all that, they all love him. I mean, they all think he's the real deal. They all think he can be a great player. I mean, you know, he's more physically talented than Eli was. But, you know, I think the Giants certainly drafted Daniel Jones with Eli in mind, looking at him and seeing Eli. But also, Eli Manning was a mistake-prone quarterback his whole career who could lose you games, who then, when he played on great teams with great defenses and good running games, then showed himself to be clutch in the big moments. And regardless of Jones's shortcomings so far, I don't think we've seen evidence that he can't be that. You know, I think he is a gamer. I mean, Golden Tate was telling us that in Chicago at the end there, even without Barkley, that Jones's you know, blood pressure was down. He was as calm as ever. You know, the moment wasn't getting to him at all. He was ready and confident to lead them back and win that game. And, of course, they fall one play short. Um, you know, I, the turnovers, I don't know, Ken, if, you know, sometimes when these guys play a lot of football at the college level, it's good that they're experienced, but the downside can be their upside might not be any higher than what you see. You know, what you see might be closer to what you get because they've already kind of grown and developed into the player they're going to become. You know, I think Jones has proven that he can be an NFL quarterback, which is better than what a lot of people thought he could be coming out of college in Duke. I don't know if his decision-making is going to improve, particularly in the red zone. You know, it, it's, uh, it's worrisome to me, and this even happened throughout training camp. He can make some great throws that make you say, wow. Uh, but just because his offensive line hasn't been A-plus does not excuse either decisions that he's made or his lack of awareness when it comes to guys coming off the backside and his lack of protection of the ball. So, you know, my, my short answer to you would be, you know, John Mara, I was actually glad to hear Mara say this, is that John Mara said before this season that he needs to get better and they have every confidence that he can. And I thought that was a very honest opinion and assessment because it should tell everybody, Giants fans included, that they like him, but that they also recognize he needs to get better. San Francisco 49ers are back at MetLife Stadium on Sunday against the Giants. They just played there against the Jets and lost some key players to uh, injuries. Uh, and they filed a complaint with the league concerning the MetLife field. What, what is it, so they put a new turf in this year. Uh, what, what's the situation with the turf? Is it, is it, and I haven't heard these many complaints about a turf since the, the vet days, vet veteran stadium days. Right. Wasn't it, wasn't there like a preseason or week one game where uh, the Ravens and the preseason game? Pre, yeah. Preseason the game. game. They, they actually installed the new field turf there and it was like a soft patch and they couldn't play. But you, you remember, you know, growing up there in Philly with me going to games at the vet. And that, that right. hard artificial turf, it's amazing that people didn't get killed on that play on that concrete. Yeah, I, re I remember that there were, like, you could see, actually, they had pictures and video of, of big bubbles uh, in one of the red zones there. Yeah, but, no, so this is the total opposite of that as far as when you look at the field. You know, and I have pictures of it on my Instagram, too. I mean, it's, it's immaculate. 
um, Field Turf is the company, and the new they they installed uh, one system in there for the different company in 2016. Now Field Turf was just installed this June at MetLife Stadium. They also have this turf installed in New England, Seattle, uh, Detroit, and I think Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And there's a ton of teams, including the Giants and the Eagles, who have this in their practice facilities as well. The Giants and the Steelers uh, did not complain about it at all. I know Zach Banner of the Steelers ripped up his knee in week one. There was no talk coming out of that game that that was the reason why. Um, of course, the Niners, I would be upset, too, if I were them losing that many guys. But this is going to be an interesting storyline throughout the week, all the way through the game, because not only are guys' bodies clearly not holding up around the league the way that they might have, um, you know, given the lack of a preseason and all, and that's something Joe Judge has talked a lot about. Uh, but also, you know, Joe Judge said that not a single Giants player said to him throughout training camp, that this was an issue, and they did several scrimmages, you know, inter-squad scrimmages on that field. They did a lot of walkthroughs, and they played that Monday night opener against the Steelers there. But Kyle Shanahan and the Niners are talking to the NFL. They continue to be upset um, about playing there against the Jets last week. I know Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas both tore their left ACLs and are done for the year. Raheem Mostert sprained his knee. Tevin Coleman... Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo with a high ankle sprain, his left ankle, I believe. So they're they're upset, and it's going to be an interesting war of war war of words, especially because then I talked to the NFL, and they said that both weeks one and week two, the inspector uh, inspected the field. You know, prior to the prior to the games, both the Giants and Jets openers, there was nothing wrong. It passed all their tests. So um, this will be something, obviously, that. Hope you hope is not going to be an issue, especially for the Giants' sake. You know, let's say this goes poorly again in this week, in this week's game, and it's an, again an issue. If for some reason you couldn't play games on this field, I mean, look at all of the safety precautions and the plans that they've put into playing in this stadium during COVID without fans. If you had to go relocate and play your game somewhere else, but you know, because your turf's no good. I mean, that would be like an absolute disaster for the Giants. Well, the Giants could go back to Yankee Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad thought. Yeah, get the Irish back there, you know? Yeah. So maybe the Jets can go to, go to City Field with the Mets again. Who knows? But anyway, uh, you, you mentioned at the top here that uh, it's, it's been strange covering games, uh, you, you know, week one. What is it like just sitting in the press box, looking down, watching the game, and seeing empty seats? Uh, yeah, you know, very, very strange. Um, you know, well, I have to be honest, you know, over the last few years, a lot of these Giants home games, there's barely been anybody there by the end. So, frankly, it's, it's, it's crazy to say, but I'm used to seeing a lot of great seats at MetLife Stadium over these last few years. The biggest difference is the lack of the noise that you hear in reaction live to certain big plays that are made, whether it's a boos or positive or, you know, a roar. Like I know in the preseason, Wayne Gallman scored a touchdown in an interest squad scrimmage and, you know, he broke free and it was clear he was going to score. And, you know, there was no noise. There was no crowd roaring. There was no one standing up in reaction to it. That's the stuff that's really odd. I know, you know, Darius Slayton said when he scored his first touchdown in week one, that it was like crickets and it was so crazy to him, you know, making that big of a play and hearing crickets. It's also odd because the giants let us sit outside the press box if we want to. Uh, but then we would have to sit in the end zone. It's not as good of a view of the field. So when you sit, um, you know, kind of want looking from like a state or TV view left to right of the field, you don't, it's, it's enclosed. So you don't even hear, um, if they have video sound, whether it's pregame or whatever, you don't hear that as well outside, and they weren't pumping that in uh, during the game. And so it just has this eerie feeling. Uh, honestly, the craziest the craziest part of it is driving there. You know, there's no traffic going to the stadium. There's no traffic waiting to get into the stadium park at the Meadowlands. You know, there's there's just people, you know, some security guards and parking attendants waiting to wave you through and make sure – uh, no one who's not supposed to be there is pulling up, but 
honestly, it felt like I was down the Jersey Shore. There's seagulls everywhere standing around in the parking lot. You know, they're probably expecting all the people to drop their food everywhere and yeah. no one's showing up. <laughs> so that's the, that was the strangest part, frankly. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. But final question for you. The NFC East, I mean, uh, the Giants are 0-2, but you know, only game out of first place. We saw the Washington football team, and I hope they get a nickname soon because I'm tired of hearing Washington football team. I mean, they get a little bit, uh, come behind, win against the Eagles in week one. They lose at Arizona on Sunday. Dallas, thanks to Atlanta Falcons' uh, brain cramp, uh, win a game that, that shouldn't have won. The Eagles look bad. And I mean, how do you look at this? It looks like the NFC East is going to be the NFC, NFC least again this year. Yeah, you're not kidding. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Eagles, frankly, I don't know how they're going to dig themselves out of what they're in. I mean, between. Their roster has continually gotten worse, and their injuries, of course, that they're going nowhere on the on the uh, as far as health goes. And then, frankly, you know, activating Jalen Hurts in week two, um, you know, Car- Carson Wentz, and what's going to happen there? I think that's going to be a story all year. You know, I know people on the outside are probably laughing, and Doug Peterson's not happy about the questions coming after the week two loss uh, to the Rams about you know Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz, but. You draft a guy like that that high and Wentz plays like this and, you know, given how things have gone with him, including uh, that story a couple of years ago by, I think it was Philly Voice about, you know, kind of the locker room and the way that they were reacting to Wentz at the time and his jealousy of Foles and all that. I think you got to really watch that. Um, the Cowboys, you know, I think that, that that was a huge win for them and a bad win for the rest of the division that they were able to sneak that one out. I think they're going to be fine. You know, they're talented. This is one thing about this year. I know they have a new head coach, and the teams with coaches returning have an advantage and teams returning. But the Cowboys are just more talented than a lot of teams. You know, their roster is just better. And they have also have a ton of injuries, and their offensive line has been banged up. But if they can get some of those players back, some key players back, I know Vander Esch, you know, you can't feel uh, encouraged about him. But if they can get a couple of those guys back, they have too much skill on their offense and just too much talent on their defensive front. I think they'll be okay, at least for getting into the playoffs and winning the division. And then Washington, I don't know about them, man. I mean, one week, their defensive, I'll say this, their defensive line is going to give the Giants problems both times they play them. So I think what's really going to dictate how those games go is if the Giants' defense uh, can be formidable when they play or not. Because Chase Young and Ryan Ioannidis and um, those guys, um, Orion Kerrigan and Matt Ioannidis and those guys up front and sweat, you know, I don't think the Giants are going to handle them too well. So, and if you're asking me right now, the division's going to finish, it's probably going to be Dallas, Philly, um, you know, and then Giants and Washington battling out at the bottom. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll see, I'll hold you that prediction. And, uh, I'm, I'm not very confident about the Eagles right now. Uh, especially the defense, to me, it's just like, ugh. I mean, it's it's bad. I mean, I know the focus has been on once, but the, the defense has got to take a lot of blame for what happened, uh, especially on Sunday against the Rams. They had no answer for him, so it would be right. interesting to watch how that develops. Pat, word, uh, I'll let you, I'll let you go here and uh, tell us where uh, we can find you on social media. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at P. Leonard, N-Y-D-N, on Twitter. And then at Pat Leonard underscore NFL on Instagram, I'm doing pics of every game against the spread on Insta. And I'm also doing a thing I'm calling casual Mondays um, on Instagram as well, where I uh, do some videos, kind of rapid fire highlights and lowlights coming off of every week's NFL games and a weekly Q&A, which is kind of hit or miss which night I do it. But I'm doing weekly Q&As Instagram live as well. More Giants-centered, but definitely talking about the NFL as a whole. So, uh, you know, stick around on both accounts, the Instagram account. Definitely more active this year. Yeah, I do see you do some of your live stuff there. It's great stuff. Uh, again, Pat, appreciate uh, you coming on. Uh, our Holy Ghost uh, alums stick together, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you so much, Ken. Take care, man. Big Ten Network and Fox Sports announcer Kevin Kugler is up next. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hey, football fans, the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest is back. 
Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick 'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets their name in Thursday's Daily Gazette and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery gift card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. To play, go to dailygazette.com football and create your account or use your past account. Select the teams you think will win. You may enter your picks and score predictions five minutes before the start of each game. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com football. For questions concerning the local contest, Contact Randy Lewis at rlewis at dailygazette.net. The trip to Hawaii is part of a national contest. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Last week, the Big Ten Conference called an audible when announced they will play college football this season. My next guest is the voice of the Big Ten Network. You can also catch him calling NFL games for Fox Sports. And he was the voice of Sunday Night Football on Westwood One. Finally, he has my permission to use the route is on during his broadcast. Please welcome to the broadcast, Kevin Kugler. Kevin, uh, welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, and thank you for taking a few minutes. I know you've been a busy man. Uh, you know, we're in Philadelphia on Sunday, and we taped this on Monday, and you're getting ready for your next uh, assignment on Sunday. Appreciate you coming on. No, I'm excited to be on with you, Ken. I've enjoyed chatting with you on Twitter over the years. I appreciate getting the uh, trademark permission to use the route is on in my broadcasts over the years, and uh, looking forward to our conversation. And as I mean, we were talking before we started. I mean, I, I mentioned to you that uh, you know back when I was working the Sunday shift at the Daily Gazette, the TV or configuration back then, the TV was down further, and I have to would have to get up to watch the game. So I would just have the game on the radio. Uh, near my desk, and I always enjoyed listening to you and uh, James Lofton calling those Sunday night games. And uh, you know, James brought that you know, player slash coach uh, uh, aspect to the game where he could re- really break down a play, and you know, and it really helped you understand what was going on. Uh, James is a, James. First off, is a great friend. He's a terrific person, and uh, I have I, I so enjoyed working with him. Over the years, before he before he pulled the ripcord and joined Andrew Catalan on uh, on the CBS side of things for the NFL, and uh, I couldn't have been happier for him when it happened, and uh, I'm still honored to call him a friend. We had a, we had a great time on those Sunday night games, and you know this, Ken. Those Sunday night games are just always, it seems, terrific games this week included. So it's uh, <laughs> it's it's always it's always was a, a great joy to do those with James. Well, you mentioned Andrew Catalan. Andrew is a native of the Capital Region here. He worked at. Uh, one of the local stations, Channel 13, here before he got his break uh, with CBS. And uh, he's a good friend of the show and a good friend of mine. So, it's uh, yeah, Andrew's in good company there with, with James. Oh, he's in, he's in very good company. They make a good team. I've enjoyed watching them over the last couple of years that they've worked together. And, you know, we play-by-play folks don't cross paths too often. If one of us is doing a game, that usually precludes any other play-by-play guys from showing up. <laughs> so I've only run into Andrew a couple of times over the years, but I've always had great conversations with him, and uh, he represents the area very well. Yeah. Well, before we begin talking about the Big Ten, you were in Philadelphia on Sunday to call the uh, Eagles my team. That's my hometown. It was a very troubling loss against the Los Angeles Rams. Carson Wentz getting criticized for his play. Maybe rightly so, but you know the defense didn't have an answer for the Rams' offense. I mean, who should get more of the blame? Yeah, that that, that defense struggled on uh, on Sunday. That's for sure. And look, I thought Carson played okay. I mean, obviously the throw in the end zone was a diving interception. That was a backbreaker. That one that one killed the Eagles and their chances at at getting back into that game. They battled. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot to offer from a defensive standpoint, though, to stop the Rams. The Rams were just and, and I was and. Look, this is the NFL, so I always, you give credit to the other team as well. Rams are pretty good, and they're in the division that I think is the best division in the National Football League this year. Arizona, San Francisco, Seattle, and the Rams all look like they could be playoff teams. Now, depending on what the Niners' injury situation is and how that impacts them over the next several weeks because they got decimated on Sunday with injuries. But all four of those teams in the division, and I've already seen three of them in person this year, look like potential playoff teams. I realize all four won't be playoff teams. But it is that's a really good division, and I think the Rams are a much improved team from a year ago. They have the best player maybe in the entire National Football League in Aaron Donald, and the Eagles did a pretty good job of holding him in check on Sunday. 
But Jared Goff was so accurate. They have a lot of weapons. Their wide receivers are very solid. They block and catch well. The tight ends are very good. And I thought that tight end matchup was going to be an interesting matchup with the Rams tight ends going against those Eagles linebackers. And I thought the Rams tight ends got the got the edge in that game. And it was just one of those where once Philadelphia fell behind and had to go into catch-up mode early, even in this league that's hard to do, and they continued to have to play from behind. The interception in the end zone really was just a backbreaker for the Eagles. Yeah, that's a, that was a killer. I mean, that's the second straight week. Uh, Wentz threw a pick that turned the uh, tide of the game. So, But, come on, those Rams uniforms, they got to go back to the originals. I just, ugh. I saw those Not last Sunday night. I, I, see, I, kinda, no. I don't mind them. I didn't mind the shininess of the helmet. No, I, didn't the helmet. Mind I have no problem with the helmet. bright I have no clean. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> I have no problem with the helmet. The helmet's fine. I mean, I I, mean, I grew up in the '70s, so I'm used to that. The the, uh, the, the blue uniforms. I mean, I don't I don't know what the. It just doesn't look right. Yeah, I I, I there. It's certainly a mixed bag. I'm I'm less a fan of the logo than I am of the uniforms. Mm-hmm. The logo looks like it's something that should be on the back end of a TV station's logo. Like it looks like you should have a number four or something behind it. You know, LA Channel Four, <laughs> and it that. That I have a, I have, a, I, I like it less than I do the uniforms. Okay, yeah. Well, let's we I, we're here to talk about Big Ten. Let's talk about this the, the the reversal. Back in the summer, the Big Ten, all the Pac-12, and a couple other conferences said they weren't going to play football because of the pandemic. It seemed like that decision around the Big Ten did not sit well. I know Nebraska, where you you live, and they were they were almost I think going to go rogue and just you know play no matter what, but. Uh, did, did they make the right decision in, in, in calling this audible? I think they did, and I think they made the right decision for a couple of reasons. One, there is now a, a much greater percentage of tests available that are rapid that you can do almost daily testing. We've seen that throughout sports leagues. Companies, and you know, capitalism is able to jump right in, and now all these companies see a chance to make some money. So, oh, look, we've got a, we're, our, our market is flush with daily rapid testing for the right price. These companies and these conferences are going to pay that price to be able to have these games. They've seen it work. So the Big Ten was able to see other conferences and other leagues make this work. So I think that's one area in which they saw improvement that they said, okay, we've got rapid daily testing. We feel more comfortable with our ability to keep this in check within our own universities, at least our own athletic departments. So let's go ahead and continue that. I think a second reason is they're not bringing back any other sports. So essentially, you can bubble to a certain degree these football teams. I realize they're not going to be bubbled completely, but you're not going to have a lot of, for lack of a better word, cross-pollination with any of the other sports. So you're not going to have the track athletes and the volleyball athletes and the and the wrestling athletes all in the training table at the same time because their sports aren't going on right now, and they're not going to go on. And a lot of cases, those kids aren't even on campus. So you have an, a, a de facto bubble that you can kind of create in places to limit the amount of spread. You're not keeping these guys in a dorm locked under, you know, under house arrest, but you're also not allowing a whole lot of – interaction with every other athlete on campus. So that's probably going to give them a little bit of an edge. And I think the other reason that you look at the decision to reverse as a good decision is these, this wasn't going to work as a spring sport. It just wasn't going to be feasible to play two seasons in one calendar year, no matter how much you wanted to plan for that, no matter how many ways you tried to figure out a way to make it work. It just wasn't a feasible proposition. So now that you've seen the Big 12 and the ACC and the SEC continue to push forward, the pressure really came on these leagues that have sat out to try to figure out a way to get back into the mix and play this fall. Otherwise, they could have seen an entire year go by without a football season, without the revenue from a football season, on top of a year where they had no revenue from a college basketball tournament. So revenue pinch becomes a big significant reason why these teams and these leagues have decided to come back. Yeah, you mentioned the revenue, uh, but they're not going to have a lot of fans in these games. I mean, how much money can they make from playing these games? I think it's more of a can the TV money offset greater losses? Because most of these major athletic departments and the Power Fives are going to lose significant amounts of money, money in the billions, or not billions, millions of dollars for these universities and their athletic departments over the course of the year. But instead of losing, say, and I'm just going to throw out numbers, 
say an athletic department was going to lose a hundred million if you didn't play football, maybe because you're playing games and you get some of the TV revenue, maybe the athletic department only loses fifty million dollars. Still a lot of money, yeah. uh, especially especially for any of us that outside of that uh, that sector. But it is you know if you can cut that loss in half, maybe with your television revenue. I think that's worth taking the chance if you're somebody in those athletic departments and you've got more information on this virus now. You understand a little bit more about it, and hopefully in another month we'll know even more about it. And as we continue on through through the days and weeks and months ahead, we continue to learn more and more as our knowledge increases, our ability to handle it when it comes up increases as well. And so I think they're now to the point where we're going to roll the dice a little bit and see if we can't get this season in. Yeah, what concerns me, and we've seen it in Major League Baseball where the Marlins had issues and it affected uh, several teams' schedules, and the Cardinals, same thing. The fact that you know, if one or two or several players or coaches end up you know, testing positive, what's going to happen with these games? Are they going to postpone the games? We're seeing some games down south being postponed because of the virus. Yeah, and I think you'll see that. I think, look, every team's scheduled for nine in the Big Ten. I think if you get eight games in this year, you're going to feel very good about it because – this is not going to stop the spread. There are going to be cases. There are going to be you know, coaches like Mike Norvell at Florida State who tested positive for the coronavirus now can't coach until he is clear of the virus. So you have coaches that are having to sit out. You have position groups that have been affected by this, which then disrupts the ability for a game to be played. So I, I think this year the whole mantra for everybody in sports is flexibility. And I'll give baseball credit. Not many people will give baseball credit, and I certainly wouldn't have been one of them as I sat around frustrated that baseball, I love baseball, and that baseball wasn't coming back in time for me to enjoy a baseball game on the 4th of July. That was my selfish thought for the summer during this pandemic as I wanted to watch baseball on the 4th of July. I didn't get that. Yeah. But I'll give baseball a lot of credit. They figured out a way, even with those disruptions, to make this thing work. And by the end of this week, Baseball's going to be bubbled, and they're going to be in the playoffs for a month now. And all of a sudden, they made it. And I think that's big. I think, and I'm surprised not many people have made a bigger deal about this. Because if you recall, right when that Marlins thing hit, there were a lot of folks who said, this is ridiculous. Why are we doing this? Baseball should just shut this thing down. And they figured out a way to get through it. And, yes, they had hiccups along the way. But they're going to get a playoff in. They're going to get a postseason in. And they're going to have provided a season, albeit an odd 60-game season. Uh, I give them a lot of credit for at least figuring out a way to work under some very, very difficult circumstances. Yeah, I mean, uh, baseball has other issues besides the coronavirus. A lot of that yes. has more <laughs> to do with the labor uh, dispute, which was going to get worse uh, in 2021. So, But, uh, yeah, you're right. I, mean, I, I think also the fact you look at the NHL up in uh, Toronto and Edmonton and, and no, no positive tests up there, the NBA down in – uh, Orlando, I mean, I, I guess you know the Big Ten sees that too and say, yeah, it, it worked for them. We, I think we can do it ourselves. Yeah, and I think baseball's example and what the NFL has been able to do in the first two weeks of its season, having no players or coaches really impacted by the coronavirus through the first two weeks, and I realize this is a very small sample size in a long season, but it's the only sample size we've got right now, uh, to have that show that it can work with unbubbled sports in the United States – I think that's important for leagues like the ACC, Big 12, and SEC that have always continued, and now for the Big 12 and maybe the Mountain West and the MAC and even the Pac-12. If they try to come as they try to come back, they've seen a path forward now set forth by other leagues, and this is one of the reasons why the SEC never intended to go before September 26th in the first place. They wanted to see how baseball and the NFL were going to operate. In these conditions, and they've learned a lot, I'm sure, as have all the leagues, from watching those unbubbled leagues do it, just like they've learned from watching the NHL and the NBA. Yeah. Uh, as teams get ready to practice, I mean, I know you've done the games uh, with Matt Millen. I'm not sure. I think we talked when we were chatting uh, yesterday on Twitter that you weren't sure going to be doing games, but uh, with your Fox schedule. So, but uh, is this a wide open year? Just the way because everything's how everything's shaking out. I think so. I mean, I you know, you, you have some schools that are some teams that are building like Rutgers. You don't know how Coach Chiano's team is going to look in this first year. You wonder about Michigan State not having a spring with a new coach and a new staff, what that's going to look like. But I really do think you've got 
you've got the favorites, obviously, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, three teams that should be better than everybody else in this league right now. But where's Iowa in that mix? Where's Wisconsin in that mix? Is Nebraska the team, one of the teams that made, as you mentioned, the most noise about playing a season? Do they have enough to show improvement after a couple of subpar years under Scott Frost? Uh, I, I think the league, it's a fascinating season. And in a short season, a loss really holds even extra weight. So uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it turns out. Teams with returning quarterbacks, you've got to believe, have an edge. Teams that have returning quarterbacks plus a, a good contingent on their offensive side have even more of an edge because you're going to want familiarity when you get out on that field for the first game. You don't want to be breaking in a new coach or a new quarterback or both when you start this weird season in late October. And then, of course, you know you know this as well we do, Ken. Uh, it's the Big Ten, and it's not necessarily going to be great weather yep. in late November and December. All I know is there's a game scheduled December 12 in Lincoln, Nebraska, between Minnesota and Nebraska, <laughs> that there is a very good chance – the temperature is below the freezing mark that day, and there could be precipitation. That could be, and that weather could be a big factor for this league in the games that are played in December. Yeah, that's going to be a very big issue. Of course, how how this do you think it'll affect the college football playoff? I mean, does a Big Ten team get into the playoff this year? I think they do, and I think if if they, especially if these teams can figure out a way to get the full complement of games in, and you know, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan certainly appear to be the favorites to get into that conversation. Ohio State being paramount among them. Ryan Day has said since the beginning of this thing that he thought he had a national championship caliber team. One of the big reasons that they wanted to be on the field this year was to have a chance to compete for that college football playoff. And I don't know what criteria Bill Hancock and the committee will put forward to get in, but. I have a hard time believing that if a Big Ten team like Ohio State goes 9-0 and winning a Big Ten championship in late in, in mid to late December, that they're not going to make a college football playoff, even if there's an Alabama team that's 9-1 and or a LSU team that's 8-2. and I, I still think 9-0 and in the Big Ten, even in this weird year, it's probably good enough and should be good enough to get a team like Ohio State into a, into a football playoff. Kevin, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at my name, Kevin Kugler. It's very simple, K-U-G-L-E-R. That's where they can find me. They'll get lots of exciting pictures of empty stadiums right now in the National Football League, and uh, they can follow my uh, exploits around the world. It'll be very exciting for them, I'm sure. Uh, quickly, before we run out of time here, uh, what, what is it like calling games in an empty stadium? It's different, um, but I, I, and I said this to my partner, Chris Spielman, this past Sunday in Philadelphia. When you're doing a game, you're just watching the game. You're not really staring too much into the crowd. And so for those moments where you're just watching football and calling football, it's as close to normal as I've felt since this whole thing has started. And that's a testament to what the NFL does and what the sport is. I mean, it's just it's it's a sport that's captivating for all of us. Maybe Eagles fans are not as captivated right now as they would have been two games <laughs> you ago. You got that right. But, but, uh, but it is still, it's still one of those things where it's – as normal as you can be right now to have those three hours of football. So it's I, I can't wait for the fans to get back, to be honest with you. I, I thrive on that. I love that. The, the atmosphere and the reaction is what makes those games the most fun. But for what it is right now, those three hours are about as normal as you can get. Well, Kevin, I appreciate a few minutes here. And I say, once again, I, you know, enjoy your work on uh, uh, Wessel One and Fox Sports. And uh, the good follow on Twitter. And I uh, appreciate you coming on. Let's, let's try to do this again soon. Absolutely, Ken. It's great to catch up with you, and I've really enjoyed it. Well, that's thanks. That's Kevin Kugler back up to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Get your motor running and play today. 
Hi, I'm Cena Menswell Cross Coach William Gleason, and you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Shop. Back to wrap up the podcast. Check out my Parting Shots blog for my week three NFL picks and TV listings. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports slash parting dash shots. Once again, I'm going head to head with Daily Gazette news columnist Sarah Foss. Sarah went 14 and 2 last week to improve to 24 and 8. I was 13 and 3 to go 21 and 11. At least I was smart enough not to pick my Philadelphia Eagles to beat the Rams, unlike Sarah, but I guess you can't get the points taken off for that. <laughs> well, anyway, keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Now that the state is reopened, that does not mean you should relax. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be considerate. Be safe. That wraps up another edition of the Party Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Pat Leonard and Kevin Kugler for coming on the show. The Party Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, -T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Party Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Party Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. On the Party Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe.